Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Do we have a new name for the Staples Center? I understand they've uh, in Los Angeles. That's correct. Yeah, one of the most famous arenas in the world, mostly because you know Kobe and Shaq played there when it was named the Staples Center. What is it now? It is now the drum roll, please. Don't worry about it. Oh. The Crypto.com Center that's Arena. Not, I'm not. sorry, the Crypto.com Arena. That's a terrible name for an arena. It's as good as any other one. Bank or freaking insurance company. I think a whatever. lot of it is, I think a lot of it is you get used to it and you kinda like in your mind you connect the name of it to a team or something like that and you forget. Because Staples seemed like a terrible name for arena originally. But then you get sure. used to it, and it's Kobe and Shag and the championships and this and that and the Kings and and uh, I would never shop in that Bird Center Office Depot. I'm a Staples man. So people yeah. still must be getting the bang for their buck. They feel like, or they wouldn't be spending all this money to name these stadiums after themselves. I guess name recognition. Crypto.com, Jack, as you might guess, is a uh, crypto cryptocurrency buying platform. It, what's what's interesting to me is that this didn't happen. We we grew up with the Boston Garden and you know Mile High Stadium and all these different things, these iconic venues that weren't advertisement. And what's interesting to me is that they they lasted that lasted for as long like nobody thought of it. And then when somebody did think of it, like when it became a thing, then they all went that direction, and it's never going back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, why did yeah. it take until the 90s or whenever this started for somebody to think, hey, instead of just calling it, you know, Cleveland Field, how about we call it, you know, Jim's Auto and I'll give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything changed. Yeah, I wonder if we can find like an indoor soccer facility or something for kids to play in. I mean, a real cheapo one. Give them a thousand bucks and have them call it the Armstrong and Getty Center. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah. We could be there at the ribbon cutting. How has it not happened that a guy like Elon Musk hasn't bought the naming rights for one of these giant places and given it some sort of childish, you know, four twenty sixty nine name, um, <laughs> or or bought every arena in the NHL, say, and named it the the Tesla Arena? Yeah. Tonight we're at the Tesla Arena where Winnipeg is playing Ottawa or whatever. Of course, tomorrow this, we'll be at the Tesla Arena yeah. as the Islanders take on the, the the Predators. And then the series moves back to the Tesla Arena, where they'll have the home field advantage. The Blackhawks and Wings <laughs> will square off. Right, exactly. Just a matter of time. Um, uh, next step is wearing sweats. I, I again, I'm I'm only just really the only reason I'm saying this out loud is because I feel like if I say it out loud, maybe I'll do something. I think I am officially in the worst shape of my life. Like mm. officially. And I don't think, not without a doubt, I'm in the worst shape of my life. Which is weird, because uh, generally, if uh, your spouse leaves you, people usually get in better shape, your revenge bot or whatever. I mean, that's what I... That's what I so that, Eventually. That's like the pop culture thing. Well, it's been a while. I've had seven, eight months. You'd have thought I'd... Okay. Uh, you'd think I wouldn't be going the other direction. I've yeah, don't of, let me get in the way of your self-whipping. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's the most common thing is immediately people, whether it's a marriage or just a relationship or whatever, you get dumped and you like you get you, you get in super good shape. Like uh, right away. Join a gym the next day. I've I've seen it over and over with people in my own eyes and I've gone the other direction. 
Eh, nothing matters. And what if it did? I think I'll just eat ice cream for dinner. Mm. Um, why am I using my legs like a sucker? You know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I saw somebody yesterday. Do you count steps? I'll I'll look at my my phone occasionally to see how I've done that day. Your phone counts steps. Our phone. Yeah. I have the same mm-hmm. phone. Our phones count steps. If you want it. Yeah, absolutely. The little mm-hmm. fitness app there. Didn't know that. Obviously, and look at me. I'm in the worst shape of my life. Of course, I don't know. I've got a fitness app on my phone, or I probably <laughs> don't. Um, because I was talking to somebody yesterday who's got the watch and they count their steps and how it like is really really helped with. I mean, like they're not actively. Uh, working out, but they pay attention and have like kind of a mini goal for how many steps they want to get. And if they don't get it, they, they they take the stairs more often or park further away or something like that. Mm-hmm. You find it's it a good motiv- idea? You yeah. find it motivating? The number I don't of steps. Look at it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy looks at it a fair amount. I wonder how many Tries steps to get the the classic ten thousand steps in. Although we went online and looked it up a little bit, and it was something like every. 3,000 steps, you burn off like 80 calories. Steps do not burn off that many calories. Now, making your heart healthier might be a, maybe you're getting more bang for your buck on heart health. But in terms of burning calories, it's been said many times by many people, eating is the key when it comes to weight. You cannot, you cannot lean on exercise for weight you got to no, eat particularly better. after you get you know like in your 40s 50s 60s your joints can't exercise you out of overeating they won't they won't Even put if up you with could it. it's just the trade-off doesn't make any sense the amount of exercise you have to do to overcome one snickers bar is just crazy yeah like i was just saying you can walk a thousand steps and burn like 15 calories. Rrr. I mean, just if you lick a Snickers bar, you've done all, done more damage Snicker than that. Snicker lickers. <laughs> it's the, uh, yeah, it's the, it's the input you got to worry about on that whole thing. I just, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll start counting my steps. Yeah, God dang it. I had a really good day. Super disciplined day yesterday. I worked out. I was feeling really good about it, but. Uh, the kid was in town and her boyfriend, and, and when they're in town, they eat a lot. They can eat a lot, so they do, and there's just stuff around the house that normally isn't. There's this big old delicious uh, apple, uh, like a uh, uh, tart thing, a uh, apple turnovery thing. And I saw that last night. I had a glass of wine. I thought, boy, that looks really good. It'd be a shame if it went away, so I ate it. I did, I did, I fell, I have sinned. And after all my self-discipline and work yesterday, I get up the scale exactly the same today as it was yesterday, after all that work. And it, it was that damn the dessert. <laughs> <laughs> um, Early uh, childhood stuff for me has been good. When my kids were, like, younger than they are now, they're 9 and 11. And we still do bike rides and stuff like that, but... I was a lot more active with them when they were littler. I mean, you're literally chasing them around. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have any choice and, and all that sort of stuff and jumping on the trampoline. But as they get older, there's a lot more of what we're going to do together is go eat somewhere. There's a lot more of that and, and, and less of the just running around the yard or wrestling or whatever. And so now I'm going to have to. It kind of automatically happened when they were younger, but now it's too easy to fall back on what you're just talking about. The stuff well, we do together, the time we spend together, is c- calorie intake. That was one of the reasons having an elliptical in my house worked out so well. Yeah, I have uh, one in know, my I... house, too. I never use oh, it. Oh, boy. 
Oh, well, that's an issue right there. But because it's not like you can go to the gym and just tell your kids, take care of yourself for, uh, you know, X amount of lock time. Them in the closet with not a bowl, often. Lock them in the closet with a bowl of water. You're not supposed to do that. No. So, <laughs> no. So I never do that. Uh, so anyway, I'm just trying to help. Momentum. Maybe take the gear off the elliptical and again. Uh, I'm and saying all, I'm saying all this stuff to remind myself: good habits are as hard to break as bad habits. So, like, if you can establish a good habit of jumping on the elliptical every single day, once it gets rolling, it'll be it'll be effortless. Or three days a week. That's 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 plenty. How about ever? How about once a year? Well, okay. <laughs> Again, it's just... And again, the other end of it. I don't like your attitude. You know what I was doing last night? I had a big half-gallon thing of caramel fudge Baskin-Robbins ice cream. Oh, my God. I work with Ah! the old Kathy cartoons. (laughs) You're Kathy. And I got the Hershey's chocolate bottle, and I'm squirting it into the container and then eating it out with a spoon. Does that sound pretty good, Michael? Sounds really good. Yeah, it, well, well, it was delicious. I could spend. I could be on the elliptical for next year. You're not going to be able to balance that out. What the hell's wrong with me? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. What's the opposite of a revenge bod? Uh, uh, aren't you glad you left bod? Maybe oh, that's geez, what I'm that's that, I'm not getting into that conversation. Well, I mean, what psychologically? What's going on there? I don't. I don't dare. I don't know. I'm you tired. Tell me. I'm tired of being able to see my feet. I what don't do like you the think? looks. I don't like the looks of my own shoes. Oi. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's terrible. It's sad. God dang it. What's going to motivate you? Cash. Publish a shirtless picture on the website every day. There you go. Public Read shaming. Read the comments. Public shaming. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Publish a shirtless picture and read the comments. Yes. That yeah. would work. I don't think I've got the guts to do it. But publish a shirtless picture every day and read the comments. Wow. Wow. Do I have the guts to do that? I'll bet it would work. Probably nude, too. Probably ought to be a nude. Well, a shirtless is not nude. Nah, well, nude then. Why completely nude? Eh, just, you know, no, it's gonna, all, the, all the comments will be genitalia related. <laughs> and there's nothing I can, I can work out as much as I want. That's not going to change. Well, if you're if you're too big, it, it it changes the perspective. If you know what I mean, just everything changes. It looks smaller, so those comments too might motivate you. Yeah, I I, I might actually. I'm I'm considering this as an idea. Uh, it it'd be we'd get a lot of web traffic. <laughs> we from, would at least briefly to, or none at all. <laughs> briefly, or the FCC takes down our website. I picture I, I publish every day a shirtless photo. Read the comments. That gets me on the elliptical. And then when I start to look better, which I assume I would at some point, then I assume you get some positive stuff. Sure. Not the the way cruel bastards are on the Internet. No. Unless you sit there like a, like, you know, Bridget Jones with your bowl of ice cream every night and and, And then people cancel out all the good you've done. And then people, the comments are posting, here you are a month ago, here you are today. This doesn't seem to be going the right direction. Oh, no. That sort of thing. Too much perspective. I might actually do this. Remind me of this tomorrow, Mike. I will. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. Are you tired of gulping down the lying filth of the mainstream media? Yeah, we are, too. We try to tell you the truth every single day. Gulping down lying filth. 
Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you, and it'll be fun at the same time. You have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Four episodes available every day via the iHeartRadio app or wherever you download your podcasts. Here's the headline. San Francisco restaurant's $72 fried rice was a runaway hit. was also a chef's nightmare. The crab fried rice at Lily, it's a Vietnamese restaurant in the Richmond district, has the aesthetics of a jewelry display, radiant bubbles of golden trout, and the white sturgeon caviar. Why do you have to have the big aquarium at the front of so many of of those uh, restaurants? I do not know. My favorite Chinese place got a big giant tank right when you walk through the door. Yeah. They have an unctuous sea urchin. What's unctuous mean? It means like you're an ass kisser. That's what I thought. Oh, all right, anyway. Uh, and the meat from three tribes of crab are arranged on a bed of expertly fried jasmine rice. Bite-sized morsels of a grilled uh, sirloin topped it along with rock shimp, deep tangerine, egg yolks, blah, 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 black truffle trimmings, blah, blah, blah. It was all What about all- the nutritious trout? Thank you, Marshall. It was all a spectacular example of luxury overload. $72 price tag. It was all the, also the restaurant's best seller. Mm, delicious. And they had to take the, the dish off the menu. Um, it was supposed to be a two-week item, and it was supposed to be a gimmick for the holidays. The premise was, let's do something so over-the-top, so bougie. That's the first time I've ever used that term. My uh, daughter's generation, big on that one. Oh, really? They love it. And how do, how do they use it usually? Oh, I'll mention that uh, Judy and I uh, played golf and uh, had cocktails with our friends. My daughter will say, you two are so bougie. (laughs) As in bourgeoisie? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was supposed to be something over the top like nobody would really order it, and we called it the number one douchebag fried rice in the kitchen. (laughs) 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 But it became super popular, and they were selling it like crazy, and they didn't want to keep it up, so they'd take it off the, uh, the list. That's kind of funny. They made something just so over-the-top ridiculous. Who would over this, order this? They called it the douchebag fried rice, and it sold <laughs> like hotcakes to the San Francisco area crowd. Not surprised. Keep selling it, you lazy bastards. Mm. What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? Do we have more from that guy? This is the man who... on the penis, people. People? <laughs> You just assured me that I could speak. What what was going on with that dude? I don't remember. What? He's a like gadfly activist troublemaker in Australia, and then they were arresting him for something as he was trying to eat a delicious succulent Chinese meal, and somebody touched his penis. Get your hand off my penis! <laughs> Did we ever find out that they have their hand on his uh, penis, or is he just saying it was an accidental penile blow? I believe. Intent matters, Jack. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. I like, I like him rolling his R's. Oh, yeah. That's, that's pretty bougie. You're an Aussie. What are you rolling <laughs> your R's for? Anyway. I see you know your judo well. <laughs> Jeez, how many years ago was that? You still remember? Uh, yes. I see that you know your judo well. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of my favorite things I've ever heard in my life. I mean, you got like Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. 
I don't know, maybe a couple of the great comedy routines and that. So those are my favorite things. I should talk like that more often. It is funny the way he drops it down like an octave there at the end. I see you know your judo well. Ah, uh, yes. I see that you know your judo well. <laughs> yes. Here is a man who touched my penis. <laughs> this is the bloke who got me on the penis, people. People. <laughs> Beautiful. Got a man who uh, masturbated in front of a TSA agent at the airport. Um, hmm. I read this story, and initially I thought, oh, this would be kind of a funny thing to talk about. But as I was reading it, I thought, you know what this is? It's the new meth. That's what it is. He's oh, on the new meth. Oh, yes. He's lost his mind. He's lost his mind. Or he's really turned on by carry-on bags. He, I don't know. He threatened the TSA agent, started screaming and yelling, all kinds of assault, and then he just and dropped his pants went and started doing it. Jacking man. it? Good Lord. <laughs> you didn't need to say that. I just, I, well, I'm shocked by his behavior. You didn't need to say that, though. I don't, I didn't need to say anything. I'm so shocked by his behavior, I had to right. say things I shouldn't say. Well, what that's kind of what he was doing. What is that? Uh, accuracy is my hallmark. <laughs> Uh, in an upcoming episode of Sesame Street, Elmo tags along with a, with a, uh, USPS letter carrier to mail his first letter. So, that's the new thing for Sesame Street, trying to get kids to mail letters. <laughs> Elmo's never heard of email. <laughs> or calling on the phone. I actually think letter writing is oh, yeah. a beautiful loss. It, it is. I won't I won't join you in your irresponsible mockery. It ain't coming back though. It ain't coming back. It been Oscar's an introvert. Just leave him alone. <laughs> Let's teach kids to read the TV guide too. Yes. Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. I have a, a piece by Pano Canalos, who is the former president of St. John's College, who's going to help build the, well, I should, uh, our topic is the University of Austin, a brand new university, uh, dedicated to academic freedom, freedom of speech, free exchange of ideas, and, and a huge departure from the current toxic, you know, uh, atmosphere on college campuses. The guy, America. the guy they chose to, uh, to run the thing from St. John's College is an interesting choice. I've talked about St. John's College many times over the years, um, because it's a college I wish I, 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 st- I still, it's like, I, I dabble with the thought of going there someday because I just think it'd be so awesome. There are two campuses. I'm, I'm familiar with the one in uh, in Santa Fe. He's from the one in Maryland. But anyway, it's the same college. And th- the reason he's the right guy for this new university is St. John's College is all based on the great books philosophy. It's just the canon of Western civilization. And you learn your math and your your science and your history and your economics and everything from reading the great books of history. Mm, and uh, and and most of that stuff and most of those people are being canceled today on current college campuses because it is an awful lot of dead white men that wrote all those books. And so it's an interesting choice to have a guy from that college uh, run the thing. Indeed, and a deliberate choice, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, he, uh, the newly founded college was announced on Barry Weiss's Substack on Monday, and hundreds of college professors, hundreds of them, 
are pleading to join that new university dedicated to free speech just hours after it was announced. I would say give it two weeks when everybody's heard about this, and it will be tens of thousands. Among those leaping at the idea, another good friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, Peter Bogosian, uh, Neil Ferguson, who he mentioned, and, and others. It wouldn't surprise me a bit if uh, James Lindsay didn't end up uh, teaching there. Some of the biggest uh, names that have been canceled in the world, there's a woman from Great Britain, I forget her name, but she she ran afoul of the trans police, and she is uh, one of the great thinkers in her field and got booted out of her university. So she's going to be involved. I remember there was that uh, one of the best-known uh, teachers of music on Earth at, I think it was Oxford, got canceled because he refused to stop teaching uh, Beethoven, that sort of thing. Uh, So anyway, uh, I I thought Neil Ferguson's uh, defense, his uh, advocacy of this project in particular was eloquent, not surprisingly, because I like his his writing. But he starts with, if you enjoyed Netflix's The Chair, a lighthearted depiction of crisis-prone English department at an imaginary Ivy League college, you're clearly not in higher education. Something is rotten in the state of academia, and it's no laughing matter. Great inflation, spiraling costs, corruption and racial discrimination in admissions, junk content like grievance studies published in risable journals. Risable, a fancy word that means beneath contempt. Above all, the erosion of academic freedom and the ascendancy of an illiberal, quote, successor ideology, known to its critics as wokeism, which manifests itself as career-ending cancellations and speaker disinvitations, but less visibly generates a pervasive climate of anxiety and self-censorship. Some say that universities are so rotten that the institution itself should simply be abandoned and replaced with an online alternative. A metaversity, perhaps, to go with the metaverse. I disagree. I've long been skeptical that online courses and content can be anything other than supplementary to the traditional real-time, real-space college experience. We could certainly discuss that point. Yeah, I, I took in a podcast this week in which he went into depth on that for like 45 minutes. So I was kind of surprised. He is not a fan of MOOCs or any kind of online university. Uh, MOOC, can you say that on the air? What is that an acronym for? Massive Online... Something, something college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the idea, though. It's an online college. Um, and then to jump over to uh, Pano Canelos, that's the gent from St. Saint, Saint John's College in Annapolis, um, why they're starting one. Um, the numbers are just amazing. Uh, you know, he starts his start, his, his, his lead is so eloquent. I got to hit it with you. Uh, so much is broken in America, but higher education might be the most fractured institution of all. There's a gaping chasm between the promise and the reality of higher education. Yale's motto is Lux et Veritas, light and truth. Harvard proclaims simply Veritas, truth. Young men and women of Stanford are told, Die Luft der Freiheit weht. The wind of freedom blows, and these are soaring words. But in these top schools and in so many others, can we actually claim the the pursuit of truth? Once the central purpose of university remains the highest virtue, do we honestly believe that the crucial means to that end, freedom of inquiry and civil discourse, prevail when illiberalism has become a pervasive feature of campus life? I had some good English right in there. Anyway, to get to the stats I wanted to hit, go ahead, Jack, sorry. I hope this works. Um, I really, really do. The, the people they've got behind it, it's a very impressive list of some of the best thinkers in the world. So it's, you know, it's got a good, uh, it's got a damn good start, but I don't think it's being overblown by Neil Ferguson or anybody else that the whole idea of a university is really 
um, uh, on fragile ground right now. I mean, uh, 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 the the idea of it lasting into the future and anybody thinking that it's worth a damn is uh, is up in the air. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. And I'll tell you this um, from the perspective of a, a big fan of history. When an institution like the university system is as diseased as it is and has gone wrong as it has gone wrong, those of us who care and want to turn it into something better or turn it back to something better will often be run over by the angry mob behind us, you know? The dragging professors out into the public square and beating them to death period of history is, is a common as sensible reforms. And I'm not, I'm not saying, therefore universities, you need to reform or you're going to be beaten by mobs. I'm, I'm just saying that if they don't write their ship themselves, the correction might not be a really nice one. Right. Um, anyway, uh, so here are the stats I really wanted to get to. Um, nearly a quarter of American academics in the social sciences or humanities endorse ousting a colleague for having a wrong opinion about hot button issues like immigration or gender differences. Nearly a quarter of academics say if somebody disagrees with the prevailing point of view, they should be fired. Canceled. So much for Veritas and the free wind of truth. Wow. Over a third of conservative academics and Ph.D. students say they've been threatened with disciplinary action for their views, for their ideas. Four out of five American Ph.D. students allegedly are best and brightest, although I, and I know Jack, have a bit of skepticism about the idea that they who pursue the most degrees and never wade out into the real world are our best and brightest. Mm, What's your life experience on that? So Yeah, right, right, exactly. But anyway, four out of five American Ph.D. students are willing to discriminate against right-leaning scholars. Four out of five. Eighty percent are willing to discriminate against those those ugly, wrong, fascist conservatives. Well, they've they've you know what? They've absorbed their education well. I'll I'll give their colleges and universities credits. You uh, credit. You tried to teach them to be belligerently prejudiced, and they are. So Neil Ferguson mentioned on this podcast I was listening to, and he wouldn't say the university, but he said at a major university, and he has taught at Harvard, Oxford, Stanford, all the big ones. And he said, all the big Fords. He said uh, at a major university, he said the president of a university told him that he gets at least one complaint a day of recommendation to have a a uh, a professor fired hmm. from somebody complaining yeah. about something. He said every day it yeah. happens. It's yeah. a daily occurrence. That's amazing. Well, that's because, you know, if I was paying what college students and their parents and their loan providers are paying, I'd get picky, too. It's like, you know, staying at a great hotel and there's hair on the bed. I'm calling the front desk. (laughs) Anyway, uh, a couple more stats for you. The picture among undergrads is even bleaker. In Heterodox Academy's 2020 campus expression survey, almost two-thirds, 62% of sampled college students agreed that the climate on their campus prevented students from saying things they believe. A strong majority believe that. Nearly 70% of the students favor reporting professors if the professor says something students find offensive. The Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, which I support with my dollars as well as my voice, 
reports at least 491 disinvitation campaigns since 2000, and roughly half, about 250 of them, were successful. On our quads, faculty are being treated like thought criminals. And they go into the story of Dorian Abbott, that University of Chicago scientist was supposed to talk about space at MIT, disinvited. Because he doesn't have believe the right things about the woke culture. Peter Bogosian again, philosophy professor at Portland State University, finally quit after years of harassment, physical and professional, by faculty and administrators. Kathleen Stock, professor at University of Sussex, just resigned after mobs threatened her over her research on sex and gender. Again, I got to figure out what these people need. You know, if I can make some small contribution to them, I am 100%. Uh, down, you know. Occasionally, we'll get an email saying, "Hey, you guys bring up problems all the time. What do you? How about solutions? What What are the solutions? Well, often the solutions are extremely difficult and complicated. But in this case, I'm I'm down with these people. I'm going to see if we can get it up and going. Uh, it'll be a slow process, but if they could start to get students out into you know higher levels of society, whether it's academics or the workplace or whatever, and employers say, "Hey, these young people coming out of this university." Aren't uh, yelling at me for using the wrong pronouns or uh, or, or cringing in fear if somebody <laughs> you know, says the wrong thing in a meeting or whatever. We want to hire more of these people. And then, you know, maybe it snowballs from there. Yeah, you might have a professor who says, I think a human with ovaries is a woman and people without ovaries are not women without being run out of their, their job. It's a hell of an interesting idea. I'm very excited that it's happening. Me too. And I the, think it's great. And the names that are attached to it, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. Oh yeah, they're serious people. This is not, you know, a couple of DJs, you know, <laughs> whipping up something for a couple of fake contributions online, then they disappear with the money. These are serious people. That St. John's College that I was talking about that I'd always kind of dreamed of going to, and I, I, I'm, I don't know that I'm smart enough to be able to do it, but so, uh, like, at least the way they used to do it. And the Santa Fe campus is just, it, it's beautiful, but that's, the classes are tiny. There aren't very many people to go to this college because it's rigorous. Um, but so, you you know, your assignment's going to be uh, read Chaucer. And then so you come in next week and you sit around and you talk about it. Like there's not a paper, there's not a grade, there's, you sit around and talk it. And, and the professor decides whether you've, uh, you know, fully absorbed it and understand it enough or not, period. Um, that's it. I've that's, read Chaucer, and I have not. That's the whole grading system. I, mean, that's I didn't all absorb to. much. I absorbed several beers after I gave up in frustration. Okay, this weekend, go read Plato, come in, we'll discuss it next week, and at the end of the week, I'll decide whether or not you uh, you passed or not. See, I'd come back and announce I played with Plato all weekend long. What? Plato with a T? Oh. I didn't actually read it. I was going to guess on the test. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple choice, right? <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. What a personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you are a Republican and conservative, this is actually great news. It's not good for the country, but it's great for Republicans. You have editorials like this one in the uh, Washington Post by Jonathan Capehart. Winsome Sears, a black Republican winning in Virginia, doesn't roll out, rule out race as a big factor. And he goes into how Glenn Youngkin won, and his election was fueled by a campaign that used the boogeyman of critical race theory to tap into the grievances of white voters. It showed that fear worked. 
people use fear. Political uh, pol- politicians use fear, racial fears for political gain. But it was all coded to dog whistle racism. And then he explains how they ginned up so much racial fear. The white supremacist idiot voters felt kind of good about also voting for a black woman. But that was actually in effect, not not of the fact that she's an incredibly impressive woman and we're lucky to have her in an office of authority. No, that has it all has to do with white supremacy. And I found myself as a conservative thinking, keep telling everybody that. Keep saying that. Keep writing that. For goodness sakes, put off as long as possible the realization of what actually happened in that race, which, as we were discussing, was partly the pitting kids against each other by race, but partly just the the Democrat politicians slavish uh, following the dictates of the unions, the teachers union in specific. Um, and then finally this, I want to play this for you. This is on, and I'd like to apologize in advance. I'm going to inflict Brian Stelter of CNN on you. Reliable sources is a show that's ostensibly about the media, but it's really just about uh, repeating the cliches of CNN and their political point of view. Um, but um, this uh, this gal was on. I don't have the names in front of me. I apologize. I always try to be ready for that, and I misplaced them. But this gal's out with a new book about how silly all this stuff is, and she had a commentary on how the left is misinterpreting the race in Virginia. And listen to the, the pushback she gets. Uh, clip number 60, Michael. So my, I felt that uh, Tuesday was a really good uh, advertisement for my book because my book is arguing that a lot of this conversation around wokeness is actually about class. Hmm. We are hiding a class divide in America. We are hiding the just disgusting levels of income inequality in America. We are hiding the total dispossession of the working class of all races by focusing on a very highly specialized academic language around race. Hmm. And I, I think what happened, you know, Glenn Youngkin's victory was a perfect example of this. The media's response to Youngkin's victory is literally the reason that he won, right? How did oh, they respond? There's a hundred media, a hundred reactions. You're, you're being pretty overly generalizing, I think. Let me, let me get more specific okay. for you, okay? Because okay. I have to say, I have to admit, having watched CNN all week, there's been a lot of very, very, very good genuflection on this front. Um, but what happened right after the election was you saw host after host after host on MSNBC saying, oh, this is a victory for white supremacy, right? White supremacy wins again. Racism wins again. When, you know, the lieutenant governor that Youngkin won with will be the first black woman to hold that job. When Glenn Youngkin managed to flip majority black districts, when he managed to get between 40 and 50 percent of Latino voters, are all of those people white supremacists? Of course they're not. They're people who are worried about, number one, the economy, right? And number two, schooling. And it seems to me it is such a self-own to tell people who are worried about the economy that that is white supremacy, right? Mm. You are essentially criminalizing the views of working class Americans. And you saw the same thing with the conversation around critical race theory, right? You saw all of these pundits being like, these people don't know what critical race theory is. That is not um, a political statement. That is a class statement. Hmm. They are not educated enough to be opposed to critical race theory. How dare they oppose it? Okay, I'm calling for this chick to shut up 
immediately because she wrote out the how to win the next election or how to avoid losing the next election for the Democratic Party. Spelled out exactly what they got wrong. And, and of course, the fat eunuch, Brian Seltzer, is, uh, Seltzer or whatever his name is, uh, is rejecting every bit of it. Mm, well, that's a little general, isn't it? The fat eunuch. Yes, he's well known to be a eunuch. Anyway, I think she absolutely nailed it. Now she's uh, probably a lefty. Uh, economically speaking, she, you know, is uh, talking about the income inequality and class warfare. It's not inequality that matters. It's ability to, uh, to aspire and to achieve that matters. As long as you have the opportunity to increase your income to achieve what you want, this is a great country. Uh, income inequality is overrated as a as an issue. But I thought she just nailed that. What's a eunuch again? Let's say, uh, Jack, in days of old, a, a king, a sultan would have, uh, young boys neutered, have their testicles oh, removed. Oh, but that was an unpleasant process. Eh, it depended. They get them all drunk up. It's fine. Um, and then, Barbaric. Uh, and then they would, uh, put those lads in charge of various, uh, aspects of the palace, cause they knew they wouldn't get with the queen or the princesses or whatever, cause they had no nards. And, uh, and they were generally not as aggressive, so they were more trustworthy. Wow. Yeah. I've considered it for the staff. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a that's an interesting practice. Is there a good book about that? I'd like to read up on that. How, oh, there how, probably are several. How prevalent was that? What a horrible thing to do. Um, I don't know. I've never been a eunuch, but uh, I don't. It seems you know kind of relaxing in some ways. No, the the process of doing it though, pre anesthesia, just had to be brutal. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Although the way they do it with goats, is that painful? You put a band around there and then they just kind of... They don't seem to mind, mind that much. There you go. They walk there around They walk around until they fall off. Yeah, yeah. But again, just in general, to sum it up, keep telling voters they're wrong and stupid about their most careful or closely held concerns. Yeah, see how that works for you. Armstrong and Getty.